Hi, you're listening to On Manorama's Explainer Podcast, News Break, a weekly show that breaks down news in a clutter-free manner. This is your host, Harita Benjamin, and in this episode, we are here to discuss the wild tusker that has Kerala hooked, Arikumban, and the rising number of man-animal conflicts in the state. Today, we have with us a very special guest, a Kerala's former Chief Forest Veterinary Officer, Dr. E.K. Ishwaran. Welcome to the show, Doctor. As the Chief uh, Veterinary Officer, you must have been part of several missions, uh, like the Arikumban mission, right, which was involved in the translocation of wild animals. So if you're comparing the terrain and the nature of the animal, how challenging was Mission Arikumban? And uh, do such translocation missions usually have a very good success rate? Yeah, as Chief Forester, as former Chief Forest Veterinary Officer, I had involved in a few translocation and several uh, capturing operations. Each capturing operation is invariably a different experience for the team. As you said, the nature of the terrain, the climate, the behavior of the animal, the behavior of the other animals in that uh, vicinity, uh, not only elephants, all other animals, uh, these are all challenges for the team to do such a mission. And indeed, in the case of Arikumban, because Muna is a very hilly terrain with a lot of up and downs, very steep climbs, and there are a few motorable roads or even uh, you know kacha roads in that location. So that really made the team, the, the situation was quite challenging and it exerted a lot of pressure on the team for approaching the animal, for tranquilization as well as to you know load the animal into the vehicle and uh, translocate it to the new location so the terrain and the behavior of the animal is the most challenging you know factors while we do such an operation right uh, so what are the you know success rate what is the success rate of such translocation missions uh, it has been recommended time and again uh, by the government in such cases so is it always advisable and is it always successful? Do animals, you know, rehabilitate in a new location easily? Actually, the success rate, like adapting to a new location, is rather low. That's what we have found in, in many of the cases. Either the animal will return to the original location or sometimes the animal will wander around, you know, into a lot of area, creating uh, problems, uh, at least in few places. Very a small portion of the animals will adapt to the new location, but depends, you know, uh, mostly on the on the, the new place, the terrain and the you know vegetation, the environment, uh, or the you know food availability and kind of things affect uh, this uh, adaptation and the success of the whole operation. All right. So in Arikumban's case, you're saying that, the, you know, the terrain and uh, the availability of food is more in Periyar area. So it is probably likely to more adapt better. Is that it? Yes. Because right. you know, Periyar is a much more suitable uh, elephant habitat compared to Muna for different reasons. And, uh, you know, the, the connectivity between Munar and Periyar is uh, very, very poor through a forest areas because okay. there is big gap in Kumali itself and uh, we don't have a proper forest connectivity because most of the places are uh, 
cardamom uh, estates so correct yeah. it's difficult for recommend to go back and moreover it doesn't have to go back because being a male animal which normally migrate to a, a long distance for in, in search of new habitats as well as in search of new uh, females for breeding so that way i recommend uh, i don't think it, it it has got any additional attraction in you know, monar area uh, so that it will try to go back so uh, five <laughs> tranquilizer shots were used to finally capture recumbent and now is this normal uh, like how do you calculate the dosage uh, while tranquilizing an animal or uh, does it depend upon the animal or does it depend upon the bars and uh, there was also a uh, you know curiosity element for the general public uh, recumbent was transported standing right so how do you ensure that you know the animal does not collapse and why is the standing part important while tranquilizing an elephant for the general public everything is tranquilization right so, but we classify it into different uh, you know types like if you want to do any surgery or you know a major uh, wound cleaning or kind of things we want the animal to lie down uh, unconscious for that we use a different drug and for uh, translocation uh, we invariably go for a standing sedation and the drug selection and the drug dosage will be adjusted such that the animal will not lie down so that's how it is being done because if the animal lie down the problem is that there can be gas accumulation in the stomach and this will enter with the you know respiration creating pressure inside the body and uh, uh, it can also affect the blood circulation so we don't want to transport any animal in a lying down position even if we bring down the animal for any reason then we'll revive it then we'll transport the animal only in a standing position so that's right. why a standing post is selected now just the, the, the other part so the drug here used is what we call dissociative anesthetic which will not cause a deep sedation or the animal will not lie down and sleep on a normal dosage and but problem is such drugs will have a uh, short duration in the body what we call half life so for example the drug used psilocin uh, it has got a half life of just 50 minutes 50 minutes okay after the injection or after the darting it will take about 15 minutes to 30 minutes for the animal to you know, for the drug action and the animal to calm down the sedation will peak by 45 minutes and it will start uh, declining after 50 minutes so if you want to do an operation in, in a long duration timing then we have to you know give additional doses something like you know you top up probably in mobile phone everybody will understand that you top up if you want to have a shower right right yeah so like that right. we, we always give a additional dose so this additional dose uh, how much should be given depends on the response of the animal so we okay. assess the animal for its depth of sedation then we decide how much should be given so always okay. it will be a much lesser dose than the initial dose okay so there is no harm in doing that in human beings also for a surgery which lasts for four or five hours so this is how it is being done we, we theoretically in our our language we call it as maintenance dose okay. so the, the sedation or the anesthesia will be maintained by giving additional drug at a, at a particular interval depending on the response of the animal so that's that's what's being done here this all is right. very normal all right only because it's is done through the tranquilization you know people are slightly upset 
Right, uh, uh, because you know we rec- yeah. yeah we recently had this episode of a bear, uh, you know, passing out and you know being drowned, right? And Tiruvannathapuram. Uh, so I think uh, yeah, that was an unfortunate incident. I think uh, the public could you know probably uh, they were drawing a comparison in that regard. So is it wrong to compare it that way? Like, uh, what do you think uh, went wrong with the bear? See, in the case of the bear, what happened was there was no divert effect just because of the triangulation. Only okay. because they could not lift the animal from the water uh, well, after tranquilization, it just drowned. Correct. So the doctor, yeah, doctor was helpless there because they have assured. Uh, so the team has assured that they lift the animal soon after tranquilization. And uh, you know, calculating all the risks, it's a collective decision always. So right. The decision was to tranquilize the animal uh, even though it was in the water. So okay. that's how it happened. It was a mere accident. All right. And uh, occasionally oh. can happen. All right. So moving on, uh, let's talk about the radio collar, which is attached to Arikumban. And, uh, you know, there was a brief report that Arikumban was missing for a while, uh, for almost a day. Now, is this common and how does this radio collar exactly work and what is its importance? How How is the range and the signals collected and all that? Could you just, you know, define that for us? Radio collar is a scientific method used to track the exact movement pattern of animals since long. And I know about radio collaring maybe since last 30, 35 years itself because this was being used even during that time. So radio collar is nothing but a collar which is attached with a radio transmitter, something like a walkie-talkie what police and other people are using. Okay. It's just a walkie-talkie connected to a collar. That's why. That's what it is. So regarding the range, you know, uh, you cannot recharge the battery every now and then. So what they do is they design it in such a way that it operates as a very uh, low power. The problem is when you are operating it uh, at a low power, the range will be less. Incidentally, I'm also a ham radio operator. I have my personal license to use uh, wireless. And I'm, right. I'm using it. I have a station, wireless station at my home. Interesting. 19, uh, 92 onwards. Yeah. Okay, nice. So, so th- this is what actually is happening. So here, okay. this particular radio caller has two transmitters. Uh, one is to connect with a satellite and another one for terrestrial monitoring. All right. So what happens is, you, you all know, when it is raining, when it's very overcast, our uh, dish antenna transmission will stop. You won't get the signals. Most of the people will know about this. Similarly, uh, when it is raining heavily or overcast uh, or when the animal is standing in a very bushy, very thick forest area, uh, you won't get the signal outside because that that will act as a shield. So the signal will be blocked there. And uh, since it's a low power signal and there is shielding, you won't get the signal outside. So the monitoring has to be done in two ways. One, on foot, in and near the animal. Another, through the satellite. So that's what actually happened here. And even uh, on foot also, sometimes you will get the signal for three to four kilometers away. That depends on the visibility or the you know clearance of the forest area. Uh, if it's a low or dense forest, then you, you get a more you know wide range of signals. But otherwise, the, the signal strength will drop down and you won't get the signal even after a kilometer distance. So that's what happens. Then, meanwhile, you know, they have to get acquainted with the new thing. They have to get acquainted with the equipment being used. And that, you know, they should get a and sound experience and 
they should develop themselves to receive the signal properly and monitor it. It will take maybe a few days for the staff to get acquainted with the system. But satellite link is automatic, but when it is uh, really overcast, heavily raining, or the animal is under thick bush, you won't then get the signal. Then the si signal moreover, may be weak, right. Yeah, yeah. Moreover, the signal goes to the satellite, and the, the, the manufacturer of the radio caller will receive the data from the satellite maybe uh, once in an hour because data is very costly, data transmission is very costly through the satellite. So they may be receiving the signal at about one, one hour interval, then they have to decode it and maybe they are receiving the signals from many radio callers they have, uh, they have uh, you know, given to different parts of the world, then they have to separate the data, then that should be informed to the periodic authorities. This may take a time delay. All right. So, that's what's happening. So this may happen when, you know, next month is going to be really, you know, our rainy season. So signals may chop always, but that All doesn't matter. All right. You can still monitor the animal. Yeah. So it's nothing to be worried about. Nothing to be worried about. Right. So now uh, let's move on a little bit from Arikumbin. Uh, now the larger issue here is man-animal conflict, right? And it's something which is being increasingly reported these days. Now, according to the Kerala Forest Department's uh, latest stats, wild elephants are responsible for the majority of the crop damage incidents, uh, which happened uh, from the year 2013 to 2019. So on one hand, we have uh, very poor households who are living at the fringe of a forest, tackling these wild animal attacks on a day-to-day -day basis. And on the other hand, if we look at the wild animals, they are struggling to find food and water in the shrinking forest and changing climate scenario, right? So there seems to be no easy way out. Uh, it's a constant struggle. So in your experience, what is the route to a peaceful coexistence? How uh, can we get out of this situation? What uh, in the long run and in the short run? Well, actually, there is no foolproof mechanism to tackle this issue. As I said, coexistence is possible. So, how much we can afford to lose, how much the animal can be forced to, you know, lose? That's the question here. Well, it's exactly it's not the non-availability of food in the forest because our forests are rich, and most of the time. If we get uh, fairly good uh, summer rains, our forest will be always green. And I don't think there is any truck in the food availability as such. But water is, of course, a, a very major issue. For example, okay. even in Munar, the major problem is they have to come to Anirangal Dam for water. There's no other way. They can still get food from somewhere, but they, all, they have to depend the dam for the water. So water is always a you know, limiting factor or a critical factor. And moreover, we also will go and settle in and around the water hole. We call it as a water hole, water with respect to the size. Where there is water throughout the year, a man also will go near and settle to that area, settle in that area. Yes. Animals also have to depend on the same. Now. This really brings in conflict in most of the places. And another right. thing, as you said, the climate change has brought in many problems. Now, the succulents, uh, the nutritive value of the food, the succulents of the food, you know, palatability, these are all affected by unexpected rains and unexpected drought. So, this may be one reason because whatever we are growing outside are always palatable, always rich in nutrients. When we talk about nutrients, you know, we have to even think about the micronutrients like we take vitamin tablets, mineral tablets. Like, you know, the animals also require vitamins, minerals, 
uh, protein, uh, energy through starch, oils, everything they also require like human beings. So whatever we are growing outside are more palatable and more nutritious compared to the food available inside the forest. And the animals are very clever to detect the you know, nutritional level of food. And uh, you know they are very, very clever to take food with a minimum time, investing minimum time and energy. So this could be one reason why they are coming out for the cultivated crops, uh, which are more nutritious. So there is a, a sea change in the land use pattern. You know, previously we used to mostly grow uh, our uh, cardamom or pepper, uh, you know, kind of spices just outside the forest area. And only very little uh, food crops are grown. And whatever is being grown apart is always meant for the wild animals because whatever we do, they will come and take away a part of it. But now, for different reasons, the food growing has increased tremendously in uh, most of the fringe areas. So the land use pattern, the change in the land use pattern is one reason for the animals to come out. And uh, another thing is, even though the geographically the forest area remains the same or maybe increase a little bit for different reasons, but the available area for animals, we, have, we are intruding into the forest, not only in terms of, you know, opening a forest for cultivation or illegal uh, entry in the forest through activities kind of tourism, the linear development like widening of roads, etc, etc. We are actually including into the forest land and the available land, the undisturbed available land for the animal to peacefully live is limited. Correct. Correct. So that, that is another reason for animals to come out and intrude into our area. When we are encroaching, they are also coming and encroaching. Yeah. Right. Even uh, in the issue of buffer zones, uh, you know, we are, you know, uh, pulling a tight train, right? We try, we're not yes. ready to let go. Yeah. 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 See, the buffer zone, for example, the, the quarries, the quarries may be limited a little area. But yeah. problem is the sound, the shape, the vibration it makes disturbs the uh, animals. It's a very, very large area. The animals okay. will def- definitely avoid to use that area. Right. And another thing, Diseases. People are not talking about diseases. The climate change is bringing out many diseases. We know many. We, we, we now know uh, human beings also are also getting many new diseases, or many diseases are re-emerging because of the climate change. Animals are also stressed out of the climate change, and disease is one aspect which uh, reduces their ability to live themselves. So that may be uh, an adding factor for the animals to come out. Actually, we are not looking into the impact of the diseases uh, in the population. We know there are diseases. We have good laboratories to laboratories to diagnose diseases, but really we don't know what's the impact of such diseases, especially when we're talking about man-animal conflict. So what we can do is we can mutually respect and we can share things and we can live. And now problem is earlier it was agriculture. Now it is agribusiness. So people are not ready to lose even a small portion of their produce. So that's another another problem. And compensations are very low. You know, when a, when a motor accident happens, uh, they get good compensation. So there's not much human cry. It's a very common thing nowadays. Yes. Accidents are very common nowadays. But People the are not very much worried about that. But yeah, the crop damage, when it happens, the compensation is very, very poor. And that even they are not getting on time. And the thing is, if there's any human casualty, Again, the compensation is very low. 
there's no point in giving 2 lakhs or 3 lakhs or 5 lakhs rupees for a death due to wild animal attack so it should be adequately compensated so everything is everything we, we count everything in terms of money correct so that compensation the monetary compensation has to be adequate and should be disbursed timely so these are all the things we have to streamline for a better better coexistence uh, with the wild animals uh, there's an increase in the population but i i won't say this increase is you know says uh, that uh, this many problems can happen due to the increase so it okay. is not uh, directly proportional to the number of problems is not directly proportionate to the increase the, to the uh, increase population. in the elephant population or you know general wild animals right because the intercalving that to the uh, a female elephant will deliver whatever we calculate the each delivery will be about 5 to 6 years okay the intercalving period is 5 to 6 years so you can imagine in last 30 years how many elephants can be you know produced and, uh, yeah how much yeah and 1:1 is the male female ratio and the most male elephant male elephant calves will die for different reasons okay so the recruitment rate among male elephant calves is less always so there cannot be a population explosion the, especially okay. in the uh, wild wild elephant population okay so still there is an increase so an animal management strategy an animal management plan also has to be there Uh, which is also lacking uh, nowadays so we always manage the habitat when we talk about habitat management we talk about the vegetation management fire management etc etc but we are not really talking about the annual management population management and you know continuous monitoring of the population and uh, coming up coming up with strategies even sometimes we may have to pull and reduce the number of animals to to regulate the number but this requires continuous and long term monitoring and issue so this is not happening so that is high time for us to you know bringing that kind of uh, planning also into the uh, environment forest planning process absolutely so okay so uh, now another question you know uh, which comes to mind uh, especially since we are in kerala is that we have a lot of captive elephants uh, elephants in the state as well so kerala is estimated to have around uh, you know 6000 odd wild elephants in reserve forest and another 700 captive elephants so on one hand we have a lot of people who are rooting for arikumbans freedom and on the other hand we have fan clubs uh, which are dedicated to these captive elephants so that's kind of ironical right so what is your opinion on this matter is it time that you know we get rid of uh, this concept of captive elephants in the first place regarding the number of wild elephants this is based on the census data and uh, yes when we look back maybe the absolute number what we are talking about has increased a lot okay one one this high number is due to the you know improved census techniques you know previously we used to go into the forest then we count the number of animals we see then we you know explore that in the, the entire area of the forest like that it was happening But now we have more sophisticated methodologies for counting these animals. This is one reason nowadays the number has the, the, the increase shown in the number is because of the efficiency of the new techniques. So let's be there. I'm not debating on that. Now back to the captive elephant issue. Now I think uh, the, the number of captive elephants are 
less than 500 in, in Kerala. So 700 were there during 2006-8 period because okay. I had uh, I could ship uh, almost 702 animals during that time. All right. Only less than 500 animals are there. Well, right. Fans association and all because this has become a very big, you know, financial activity of the festival uh, committees. Yes. So yeah, that's what exactly it is because. Previously, the, the number of animals used and uh, the festivals having elephants were uh, much less than what is there today. More and more uh, elephants are being used, more and more temples are using elephants nowadays. Uh, this is part of a financial activity. Uh, I, I don't think this has anything to do with the you know, devotion or anything. Uh, because I don't, I don't believe torturing, torturing a third person, whether it's an animal or a human being, for your own, uh, you know, uh, success. <laughs> so, I don't think this is a good uh, practice uh, to use more and more elephants in temples. Definitely, you know, uh, yes. part of our culture. Definitely, we require elephants for our festivals because our concept of festivals is like that alone with elephants, colors, uh, big firework kind of things. Okay, good. But then we also have to look into the Welfare of these animals, welfare of the mahouts, because they are also equally important as elephants. So, and their social security and their you know uh, income, everything has to be properly met with. So, uh, fans association and all is there just because uh, you know in, 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 in the name of elephants, uh, they get you know, they can collect uh, a good money, so they can afford to have fans association. And a lot of activities in the name of elephants. But uh, I think we must regulate the use of elephants. It's happening now, and compared to 10 years back, uh, now there is a lot of concern about uh, elephant welfare now among the devotees. So elephants are much uh, you know, better treated than uh, the previous years. Absolutely. So I think uh, with that, we come to the end of today's discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Ishwaran, for joining us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was On Manorama's News Break, an explainer podcast, which was produced by Harita Benjamin, that is me, with technical production by Idea Brew Studios. It comes out every week and is available on all podcast platforms. So do follow On Manorama for more such updates and more such explainers. Thank you so much.